and you can live in the day. So, so th- I haven't been able to yet understand um, the the origins of my own thinking. I, I, I'm not so Jordan Peterson. It is a fan of saying that everything in the Western world comes from Judeo-Christian lineages, and I struggle with that because I believe that Eastern philosophies and ethics you know the yamas and niyamas of hinduism uh predate judeo-christian thought and i'm pretty sure that that's a fact it is a fact so if that's a fact why doesn't my what is it implicit bias why is it my why isn't that built with eastern philosophy why is Judeo-Christian, did that somehow replace the thing that came before it? I don't, I don't know, I, but, but perhaps there's a, a different interpretation there that I'm not seeing it from. I think it's very interesting, Rajan, because I would definitely agree that it all comes from uh, Eastern perspective, right? Everything mm-hmm. in in origin comes from a Eastern um, understanding of things. And I would even go further away, uh, uh, further back into saying they must have been um, mother civilization uh, beyond what we can grasp as history, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where all that knowledge comes from, because there's proven fact that there's so many similarities that are way too, uh, too many for it to be a coincidence, right? Yeah. I think the the only why they say it's based on Judeo-Christian other than Eastern is because they just like what you said with Buddhism, they grabbed this little piece and said, this is the truth and everything else. It just doesn't matter. Right. So while getting that out, they left so many other things that put this little thing into context that now it seems like something totally different, right? Or it doesn't stand with the whole conception of a more Eastern philosophy. At least that's what I think that happened. A lot. Because the, in my opinion, if you go beyond what the institutions have said, a Judeo-Christian uh, worldview is very similar to a Bhakti tradition in Hinduism. You're acting as a devotee, for a higher per, uh, uh, entity, right? Yeah, and your main source of, of communication is uh, ceremony, not through uh, introspection. Perhaps there's some of that, but the main con- there's a duality. You're separate, and and you're you're forever worshiping that greater thing, which is the Vaishnavite perspective. In 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 Saivism, which is the oldest sect of Hinduism. Uh, our communion or worship in its essence is done through samadhi or, or deep meditation in Vaishnavism. There is no uh, oneness. You don't become one with Vishnu ever. You're forever at a place of, of appreciation and like eternal uh, sitting next to Vishnu for eternity, enjoying his presence and, and, and this and that. 
so some major differences of, of what happens at the end um, in, in, within Hinduism exist. So, uh, which is interesting that I found Saivism because I, I went out on my search to find truth in yoga and the source and Saivism is the old is the no, n- oldest known sect. So everyone was a Saivite in the Vedas, the Hinduism scriptures, the Vedas and, and Agamas. Uh, Shiva is the only deity represented, and every other sect came later, made their own type of scriptures, and kind of rewrote it for themselves at at, at later times. So uh, I believe um, if you go back far enough in text, there is only uh, the Shiva Lingam as a deity. There's no actual, you know, Morti, they would call it. There's no statue. There's only a little uh, oval-shaped rock. That's the oldest known expression of Shiva, which is an expression or manifestation of formlessness or nirvakalpa samadhi, the deepest uh, transcendent state in meditation that's possible on earth in a human body. So the first, so the consequence of knowing that is, is that the oldest representation of divinity or the, a religious body is nirvakalpa samadhi or oneness and that's what was worshipped and attained for in the very beginning of this thinking what came later was as you said the need for story and and representation through understandable things that are concrete so in order to describe nirvakalpa samadhi came the the oval shaped stone in order to explain formlessness there must have been an explanation of form which came the uh, the dancing shiva or nataraja out of that came a form of of you know she nataraja holds a flame to represent destruction out of the flame came another deity rudra Rudra. and and so, so on and so forth came these representations to explain all of these things that came in the very beginning. And uh, so it's important that I think, as Roka said, when you have critical thinking, it's important to go keep going and, and keep learning where things came from, like a, fo- like a game of telephone right? What was the actual thing first said, which it changes through each person. And if, if we have a long lineage of culture, things are going to change with each culture. So can you throw out what's going on today and for the, for the replacement of what came before it? No, I think that would be orthodox, right? So orthodox says it's not important how we feel today conservatism says we need to keep what happened before right uh in america we have conservatists who are uh 100 behind the 
constitution of the country. And, and if anything changes, we have to go back to the constitution, right? So liberals then say, well, no, things are changing today. So we need to use what's going on today and get rid of that old book where like the balance is let's use what happened in, in the beginning as a reference. Let's keep what we need today. It's the Bruce Lee Jeet Kune Do method. And let's also find out what's going on today that is relevant, right? We don't have banana leaves everywhere. So the mixture of the two creates like, to me, the ideal mind and the ideal path forward. I have a question there, Roger, and I think it's very, very interesting. And I agree with how you, you see everything. I would ask who is, well, in the, the, in the world, I think it's based on abilities, right? Who's the most knowledgeable person who has the most experience to make that proper uh, intersection to get a, a product? For example, if you're going to pass a law that has to do with health, well, you probably want uh, somebody that studied medicine to be part of the committee who's taking decisions, right? But when it comes to inner experience, which is so subtle and so difficult to grasp and, and without distortion, uh, what the traditional role of the guru was uh, is to be that light or to be that dispeller of darkness so you can make the best decision possible for your moment in, in your life, in your lifetimes, with your karma, and all those variables that come in, right? If you're, you're seeing it from an Eastern perspective. But in that sense, there's like different levels of gurus, I'd say, right? There's people that can, uh, as reference, for example, in uh, a book we've, we've both read, probably Rockas has read it as well, the um, autobiography of a yogi, right? He references his guru's guru, right? Um, and the amount or the capacity of seeing things with clarity, which comes with a lot of capabilities and, and other abilities, was so intense that he was able to feel things. Like a banana leaf would have a certain amount of energy, right? And there's a, there's a subtle interaction between the banana leaf and how our body responds to the banana leaf, right? So mm -hmm. they might be a reason why the banana leaf is beneficial if you're sensible enough to feel that interaction or that dance between um, you and the leaf, right? And if you don't, if you haven't developed that level of sensitivity, it could be just discarded as, oh, it's just tradition, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think there's a fine line between tradition and reality. And I think it, that has been why there's been avatars and um, gurus around life telling you, okay, yes, we were going in the right path and then we took a wrong right. Let's move back to this part, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that, in my opinion, it's a big issue today that we all think that we are smart enough and we already know everything that it's very easy to discard things. For example, I, I became, I took a yoga teacher training, right? And now 
a tradition that's been passed on of how things should be done. And there's a reason for it. Suddenly, because it's orthodox and I want to do something new, I'm going to heat it up and I'm going to do mix it with gymnastics. And then I'm going to add fighting and I'm going to have a beer while doing it. Right. <laughs> it's a real thing. Beer yoga. Beer yoga. <laughs> so what, what is that line? What is that subtle distinction between something that is real or something that is just a tradition like the banana leaf? Mm, yeah. That's where critical thinkers are needed. Uh, that's where the people who are yearning to know the source of something can help uh, by, by staying connected to history. So there is a huge difference between um, fire uh, in Hindu ceremony, you know, and using a phone like that has a flame projected on it or a picture of a flame. Fire is a substance that mystically can be seen in between worlds as a medium. So in Hinduism, during a ceremony, you hold the flame up so that, so that the film in between worlds can be stretched out and so the deities and beings on the other side can see you clearly. Can that happen with another thing? I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if the fire thing is true, but I know that, that there has been a difference in my ceremonies when there's fire and when there's an absence of fire. So, you know, who, who dictates what happens into the future, um, you know, and, and what if fire isn't allowed in space, you know, and we're, we're a, a, a multi-planet uh, civilization and, and there's no fire so in, in part of that route. You know, can you still connect with the inner worlds? I think those are very good questions. Um, if what, you, sorry for yeah. interrupting. Go if ahead. you believe in it, and uh, how would I say, is it dedicate? I don't think dedicate is the right word, but dedicate yourself, let's say, to the ceremony as it's happening, really become part of it. Then I think as long as you believe in that thing, then it can be replaced with another thing, if that's making sense. So fire, because of the history with fire, um, you're more involved with the ceremony when there's fire. But if you had something else there and you had a reason to believe in that thing and dedicate yourself to that thing, I'm not sure of another word, then I'm sure it would have a similar effect as well. Is that not the case? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like with what you're saying and, and I, I feel the same way. Um, but we're talking about an actual physical property of an element that, you know, I don't know if it's the same, it's same like I, if you look at gold as being valuable, right? But I can also hold a piece of plastic and if I care about it enough, I could convince other people that this is worth more than gold. And if people believed it, then that's all that matters. Um, but if you actually look at gold and silver, in Hindu scripture, they're considered also mediums through which we can communicate through other worlds, which is why we wear silver or gold earrings and, and rings uh, so that we can be seen. Uh, water is similar. So can I replace those things? I mean, 
you know, I, in a physical scientific sense, could you create the color red using other colors that you care about and that should be creating red? Probably not. A combination of two things would create something else, no matter how much you believed it to be so. So from that sense, I, I don't know. I, I think that we have an answer for that in science. From a mystical perspective, I think I'd have to agree with you because I, I'm a mystic. <laughs> and I believe that our main connection to the inner worlds are not fire or gold or silver, silver but our, is our consciousness. And I believe if our consciousness is high enough we have a, a, a greater connection than fire can ever make. And fire would be elementary to a high consciousness state of being. I think that would be my thought on it. I just remembered what my teacher used to say. It was very interesting because I had completely forgotten about this. He said that um, when you haven't developed your consciousness to a point Everything is contained in your consciousness and you can do everything from the, as you mentioned in several episodes from your microcosm, you can impact the whole macrocosm if you know how to do it, right? But that's the thing that sometimes it just becomes because I, if I have the enough intention, can I do it? That's a part I don't really know. You need to know how to do it because it's not because I'm going to sit here and I want to think hard enough that I can fly. I'm going to fly, right? There, there's been uh, talking that a human, body, a human being can fly, but there's, you need to prepare yourself to, to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So while you're preparing to do whatever you want, connect or have clarity of mind, there's tools that can help you. Mm. It's like, I'm such a good sailor that I don't need anything. I can see the stars, I can feel the air and I just go for it. But that took a long period to master to become that sensible to, to your surroundings, yet you don't need anything, right? And I think that happens with meditation as well. You, you walk from a specific technique, uh, certain breathing patterns, certain postures that are meant to help you or make it easier, like training wheels, right? So fire, if you're, you have the ability to connect everybody everywhere, well, probably you don't need water. You don't need fire. You don't need anything. You just close your eyes and in a second, your, uh, your consciousness is already expanding. But if you're not there, there yet, I think it could be really tricky to believe you can do it without it mm -hmm. because you get lost in this imagine, imaginary things you, I could or could not done, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's where the elements come in, right? fire helps with this um having this diet can help with this um having uh wearing colors have a different impact right mm -hmm. but they're only tools until you can do it by yourself if it makes sense that's what, at least what my teacher uh, i remember he said and now that i think about it it, it makes it makes a lot of sense what are yeah. your thoughts the hinduism has that built into it it's called the 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 called bhakti kriya yoga and jnana so and it's the four stage path in hinduism so everyone starts out as beginners in bhakti which is uh uh 
devotion. Devotion, thank you. And so it's an external devotion. You're looking at the deity. You're, you're, you're needing to go to a temple to feel a connection because the rest of the world is chaotic. Kriya is, is an action or rite, and it's performing the actual ceremony that you used to just watch. It's, it's practicing different actions and rites to get better at certain things. Yoga, which is this, the beginning of the internalization of your bhakti and your kriya. It's, it's the internal practice of getting close to the deity. And jnana, which means wisdom, uh, which can mean either intellectual wisdom or enlightened wisdom. Uh, the true meaning is, is, a, is, a, is blurry, but I would lean towards enlightened wisdom as being the true meaning of jnana or jnana yoga. And that's the culmination of the yogi's journey. It's the, the ability to, to mold all of these, these tools into yourself so that alone you abide in this, this, this mastery. So that's one way to look at everything. Uh, and, and the monks that trained me believed that you don't necessarily lose bhakti, kriya, or yoga just because you're successful in meditation. You still keep them and you mature them over the years. You don't, you don't throw them away and you're somehow advanced and you don't need them. But to a certain degree, you know, you do have a better understanding and skill level of all of those beginning stages. And to, I mean, to call them beginning stages is not accurate because um, I, I have a Hindu temple down the street from me on the same block that I live just like, just by luck. And, uh, um, you know, we've been in on this street in this home throughout the pandemic. So the temple has been closed, but the priests still do the ceremonies. And so while I've been through each of these stages and, and have progressed in them and trained in them by the finest in the world, I still end up, you know, at the beginning, I still, I can't, I have not lost that sense of, of devotion and I'm just even walking by the temple and I hear the priest chanting and I stop for a second and I think about all the ceremonies I've ever done or been a part of and watched. And it all kind of comes to me very quickly. And I, and I am fulfilled again from that perspective. And so perhaps that's what that means. Like I don't have to sit down and do the warm up and do the ceremony and everything. I can actually just, just remember, like have that thought and it hits me again. And I'm back in that place, which is probably not possible for someone who hasn't, hasn't done many ceremonies or still learning how to even do the basic Kriyas. Right. So I don't know if that, if that answers that, that initial query, but you know, 